0: From WBEZ Chicago, I'm Susie On, and this is Reset. Happy Friday. You know the drill. It's time for our weekly news recap. Coming up, cases of monkeypox continue to rise in Illinois.
1: Rapidly rising monkeypox cases are prompting Governor J.B. Pritzker to take action. He's declaring a state of emergency.
0: The Highland Park shooting trial continues.
1: The
2: suspect who faces 117 charges for allegedly killing seven people at a 4th of July parade pleaded not guilty on Wednesday.
0: Lollapalooza staying in Chicago.
1: The music festival is now under contract for at least the next 10 years with a better deal for the city.
0: Several prosecutors are leaving the Cook County State's Attorney's Office. A top prosecutor in the state's attorney's office has abruptly quit, leaving behind a resignation email slamming the office. So much news this week. Here to help us make sense of it all is WBEZ's state politics reporter Dave McKinney, Christian Farr, reporter for NBC5 Chicago, Alex Nitkin, editor and City Hall reporter for The Daily Line. Let's start with a growing health crisis. The Illinois Department of Public Health reports at least 603 cases of monkeypox including the first confirmed case of the virus at the Cook County Jail. On Monday, Governor Pritzker declared monkeypox a public health emergency. Christian, how does that declaration help stop the spread of the virus?
2: Well, I think when you look at what happened with uh, COVID, and uh, you know, looking at the spread so quickly and how we had to shut down, and we've had uh, previous issues before with you know things like the flu, and we haven't seen things shut down this way. So uh, this is really going to help with the emergency because we're number three on the list, uh, meaning that uh, New York and California are above us, um, and that's going to let uh, more dollars come into the state and more vaccine come into the state as well. You know, we don't want to have that monkeypox spread. Uh, like we did with COVID, which uh, shut down the city, really hurt us economically, and I think really hurt the the psychology of people, Um, not only in the state, not only in the city, but of course, across the country and across the world. And we're just recovering from that. And then this next veer is now monkeypox. So with this public health emergency now being declared uh, by the governor and also in the state of New York and also in the state of California, that's going to allow Uh, more dollars to come in and more vaccine to come in to try and handle this spread. So it doesn't... I mean, I was at 520 uh, the last time I looked at it, and now you're over uh, 600. So that's going to be a really big concern.
0: Yeah, vaccines have definitely been scarce for this. Well, turning to politics, a video of Republican gubernatorial candidate Darren Bailey posted in 2017 on social media is causing a lot of controversy this week. Let's take a
2: listen. I believe that abortion is one of the greatest atrocities of our day. And I believe it's one of the greatest atrocities probably forever. The, uh, you know, the the uh, attempted extermination of the Jews of World War II, it doesn't even compare on a shadow of, of the life that has been lost and, and with abortion since its legalization.
0: Dave, how's the state Republican Party responding?
1: Well, Susie, this is the, the latest uh, I guess you could say gaffe on the part of, of Darren Bailey that has really created difficulties for him on the campaign trail one month after the primary election upset of his. Um, Republicans are keeping a distance to th- to these remarks. I mean, uh, House Republican leader Jim Durkin is an exception and uh, one of his members from up in Crystal Lake, both, both of whom were critical of this. But by and large, uh, Republicans have been pretty quiet about uh, language that I think is uh, y- you know you, you listen to it and your jaw kind of hits the floor a little bit I mean when you talk about attempted extermination of, of, of Jews during the Holocaust I mean that's that's a, that language unto itself is inflammatory you know it's it, it signs of a broader problem that uh, Bailey has had with Republicans and uh, since his election I mean by and large most mainstream Republicans most sort of household names in the party have uh, not come out and publicly endorsed him. There, there is wariness about his candidacy, and many of them, uh, you, you know, are willing. Particularly in the Collar counties, where where mm-hmm. I think this election is going to be determined, many of the, the Republicans out there don't want to talk on the record about this guy. And the ones who do pick up the phone and 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 talk with you for a while are just in utter disbelief at his candidacy and and where it's been going.
0: And how is Bailey responding to this?
1: Well, on, on this question, uh, he, he came out with what I think was an attempt at an, apo- an apology. I mean, he said that he was, uh, uh, you know, he recognized that the Holocaust is, a, you know, in her, his words, a human tragedy without parallel. And he said that he wasn't attempting to diminish the atrocities of the Holocaust, but instead was trying to emphasize in his mind the tragedy of, in his words, millions of babies being lost.
0: Well, while Republicans might uh, want to distance themselves from this, I'm, I'm sure um, Democrats have no problem responding to what's been going on. What have you been hearing?
1: Well, I mean, you know, front and center. I mean, Governor Pritzker has, has taken this, sh- this issue and run with it. I mean, his campaign has, has called uh, Bailey's remarks anti-Semitic, uh, disgusting, disqualifying. And on top of that, they're, they're running an advertisement now, uh, you, you know, airing Bailey, with his own words. I mean, this. Remember, these words came off of Bailey's Facebook page. These are words he, he put up uh, after uh, former Governor Bruce Rauner uh, signed legislation that infuriated members of the of the of uh, the Republican Party that that increased access to Medicaid-funded abortions in Illinois. And so he was he Bailey was reacting to that. But again, you know, the, these kinds of things uh, they they become particularly difficult for a candidate that is out trying to 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 move to the middle and influence you know yeah. independent voters and and uh, especially you know given how uh, abortion now is is one of the mm-hmm. leading issues so it's it's a it's a very difficult situation bailey is in
0: yeah well to that point dave governor pritzker spent millions of his own money to ensure bailey won the republican primary is this exactly what pritzker was hoping for
1: well, you see this here. You see it across the country, where where Democrats actually entered primaries and they were spending money to try to uh, sort of enhance the candidacies of people that they regarded as the weakest candidates. And and in Bailey, you know, you have a a, a guy who comes from from far state, doesn't seem to have uh, a lot of traction in Chicago and the collar counties, uh, you know, outside of, of of a you know the core Republican base that he has here, and. Pritzker, I think, you know, you're seeing a daily, almost daily onslaught against Bailey. And the big, big issue here uh, of what we have going on is that as of June 30th, Darren Bailey had $364,000 in his uh, uh, campaign fund. And I mean, that sounds, you know, I mean, to, to somebody, to, to an average person, maybe that sounds like a lot of money. But in the world of campaigns, it's nothing. He can't, he can't be on television. And so what you have here. Is that that Pritzker, with his kind of bottomless pit campaign fund, uh, you know, since he's a billionaire in self-funding, he's able to be on the air in Chicago constantly. Yeah. And to this point, Bailey has not. And and we're a month into the the general election campaign, and that's that's really uh, what what it's doing is allowing Pritzker to define. Uh, Bailey to, the, to yeah. the masses without Bailey having any kind of real response.
0: Well, sticking with the governor for, for just a second here, um, Pritzker also got what he wanted over um, in the state Democratic Party where there was a leadership struggle. Uh, Dave, what happened there?
1: Well, this was a, a sort of a byproduct of the of the power vacuum that resulted when House Speaker Michael Madden got himself into trouble related to the ComEd uh, situation. Uh, he was the longtime chairman of the State Democratic Party of Illinois, but when his, his uh, problems became so intense, he had to step down from uh, Speaker. And as party chair, uh, Robin Kelly, the South Suburban Congresswoman, took his place at the state party. But uh, she had problems uh, getting the entire you, you know, power structure of the state Democratic Party behind her. The, the criticism against Kelly was that as a federal official – you know she has certain limitations on her ability to raise money, yeah. and and so that was really kind of the the you know the arrow that was used against her in this. And and what uh, what it really kind of became was a, a bit of a power struggle between Governor Pritzker, who uh, who embraced State Representative Elizabeth Lisa Hernandez. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hernandez is is a high ranking member of leadership in the House Democratic organization under Speaker Emanuel Welch. Uh, and and she prevailed, and and uh, Kelly had her own supporters, uh, Senator Dick Durbin being one of them. But but at the end of the day, the 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 uh, Pritzker really kind of won the day here, and and it was really just more of a beauty contest yeah. in a way, because like you know most people, the, the real power in politics in Illinois doesn't rest with who's the chairman of the party but rather, you know, who's who's actually in power yeah. as governor and senator and what have you. So it, it, was a, it was a a party struggle within the Democratic Party. Pritzker came out ahead. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, Alex, uh, another local politician made news this week. Retiring Southside Congressman Bobby Rush had a request for President Biden. Can you fill us in?
3: Right. Bobby Rush, who is going to be uh, congressman up until next January, um, Jonathan Jackson was elected to succeed – or I should say he won the primary and is now expected to win the general election to succeed him. Um, Bobby Rush, now he's kind of taking his last uh, lap in the seat of power after so long in government and um, basically sat down with a a columnist um, and asked um, for – was talking about how he wrote uh, President uh, Joe Biden a – letter was talking to to Laura Washington about this at the Tribune, basically asking Biden to pardon um, Jesse Jackson Jr. and his wife, Sandy Jackson. Um, Folks might remember who were here about 10 years ago, um, they were both um, uh, convicted in, in different corruption charges. Jesse Jackson Jr. of course was the congressman preceding Robin Kelly in the second congressional district, and was really seen as a rising star in the party um, and in government at that time. Um, sort of before before or, you know Barack Obama was, and his wife Sandy Jackson was alderman of the seventh ward uh, in in South Shore on the South Side. Um, they were had a, a scandal in 2012, 2013. They were convicted on charges of. Um, for Jesse Jackson Jr., wire fraud, mail fraud, um, embezzling campaign funds, and and Sandy Jackson for filing false income tax returns. And I think it's important to know these were kind of uh, rivals, or at least not on the greatest of terms, of of Bobby Rush. And so now he is, you know, especially after um, Jesse Jackson Jr.'s uh, brother, Jonathan, has won this seat over the uh, um, uh, Rush had endorsed someone else, Mm is trying to sort of reconcile things and, and ask for grace and to put the whole thing behind everyone.
0: It's kind of crazy to think that was uh, 10 years ago. <laughs> this is Reset. I'm Susie on InforSasha and Simons. And we're doing a deep dive on the biggest local and state stories on the Weekly News Recap. My panel today includes Alex Nitkin, editor and City Hall reporter for The Daily Line, WBEZ state politics reporter Dave McKinney and NBC5 Chicago reporter Christian Farr. So it's been a tough week at the Cook County State's Attorney's Office. Uh, Veteran Assistant Attorney's at- State's Attorney James Murphy resigned last Friday with tough words for his boss. Uh, several more prosecutors have recently announced they're calling it quits, too. Uh, Christian, what is going on over in Kim Fox's office?
2: You know, it's a big, big shakeup. I mean, we've heard about this uh, for some time now, and there's a question of leadership I've Uh, interviewed uh, James Murphy uh, many times over the years. Uh, He's had a lot of the top cases um, at Cook County. Now he's a a former um, ASA and um, and part of his letter uh, wrote that I would love to continue the fight for the victims of crime and continue to stand with each of you, especially in the face of overwhelming crime that is crippling our communities. However, I can no longer work for this administration. I have zero confidence in their leadership. Um, he just does not have faith uh, in, unfortunately, the leadership uh, um, uh, um, of Kim Fox. Of course, we know that Kim Fox has had uh, quite a few issues uh, in that office, um, especially with the Justice Smollett case um, yeah. and how that was handled um, and other high-profile police-involved shooting cases that uh, that many people were hoping that she would end up charging police officers in that case those cases did not end up happening. Um, so I'm not certain what this means for the future of her office. Um, she has responded in her, in her own statement, and she said, We recognize the rigors of this difficult work and told that it bears yet uh, more than 1,100 employees show up every day to work on the front lines and behind the scenes in a testament of the resiliency and spirit of this office. So um, Kim Fox still feeling confident about the staff that she does have, have but having James Murphy walk away, who's been mm-hmm. there for a very long time, we see him on TV quite often, hear him on the radio quite often. Um, to see him step away um, from these big cases is is, is kind of shocking. Yeah,
0: definitely. Well, Alex, um, our journalism colleagues over at Block Club Chicago and Injustice Watch published some alarming data this week involving black drivers and traffic stops. What did they find?
3: Yeah, this was a really great impressive investigation between Block Club and Injustice Watch. They essentially took um, – they were looking at at traffic stops, um, specifically the racial disparities in traffic stops. I think that the context had already been been laid out. We saw this um, pretty striking Inspector General's report last year that showed there was already a really wide racial disparity um, in how the police are treating people at traffic stops. Um, and what the folks at, at Block Club and Injustice Watch did was really – Um, uh, smart, they basically looked at the number of traffic stops that the Chicago Police Department is reporting to uh, the state every year under a state law, trying to sort of track um, the police department for the purposes of reforms. And they contrasted it with the police department's own records where they had shown incidences of people uh, who are being charged with gun crimes and traffic citations in the same incident. And they basically found a huge Gulf between the two, uh, the the uh, sign, the implication here being that the Chicago Police Department is just not tracking, they're not reporting all of the times that they are stopping drivers, pulling them over, seizing their guns, charging them. I think that there are two a lot, lot of you know takeaways and things to to look at uh, from this, but two takeaways in my mind are one that you know when we hear David Brown, the superintendent of the Chicago Police Department, really emphasizing. How many guns officers are taking off the street? Like that is the real metric for how how safe we should feel. And this article leads with I think a pretty typical story of a man who owns a gun. He has a, a he owns it. he has it legally. He says for his own protection. And the officer takes it and seizes it and and charges him with unlawful use of a weapon because the the u u u w you can be charged with use of a weapon if you, even if you just possess it. It really raises some questions of all of these gun seizures, how many of them are just, you know, Mm -hmm. police who are pressured to pull people over. I think the other thing is that you really can't, It's such a hindrance to the ongoing work of trying to reform the police department and build trust in them if we don't even know what they're doing and how much they're actually pulling people over. So this, I think, was really alarming and is going to be sort of a wake up call for the folks in Springfield who are pushing for this reform in the first place and going to try to put more pressure on the police department to get their uh, data recording and reporting um, act together a little bit better. Well,
0: before we take a quick break, uh, Christian, we must mention a story you did this week about the passing of a trailblazing black actress with local roots.
2: Yeah, Nichelle Nichols. Um, uh, my father was uh, a pilot in the United States Air Force, loved Nichelle mm-hmm. Nichols, um, 89 years old, would have been 90 later this year. Um, From South Suburban Robbins, and uh, was uh, discovered by Duke Ellington, uh, of all people. But I think one of the most interesting things about her is that uh, when she was on Star Trek, Gene Roddenberry had come to her, really wanted her on there. They wanted this diverse show. You have to remember this is the 1960s to have people of different ethnicities um, on a television show who are equal was absolutely amazing and groundbreaking, but uh, she was really into Broadway. She was into singing, and she wanted to leave that show after the first season, actually resigned and bumped into Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who told her that he was a huge fan of the show and said that her position on that show was so very, very important, especially to the civil rights movement at that time, that she went back to Gene Roddenberry and said, hey, if you'll take me back, I'd like to continue on this show. And as we know, if you are a fan of Star Trek, um, she stayed on that show and did tons of movies um, up until, uh, I think, the late 80s, early 90s. Um, you know, unfortunately, I believe she had a stroke, uh, dementia set in, um, and had a rough couple of years, but uh, left behind a legacy and a legacy that's going to be celebrated in, in Robbins uh, at some point, maybe name a street after her or something like that, but um, uh, it's a sad passing, but a wonderful journey through life.
0: Yeah, and one of the the first interracial kisses on uh, on ch- television. Yes, so you know, not just for the Trekkies, for everyone. Okay, so far we talked about Governor J.B. Pritzker declaring monkeypox a public health emergency, and the governor's Republican challenger finding himself under fire for an old social media post but there's much more to get to. Dave, as families began thinking about school again, we learned that an influential charter school leader, Tim King, has had to step down. What do we know?
1: Uh, well, Susie, my, our colleague, uh, Sarah Karp, has been all over this story this week and, and has done extensive reporting about it. I mean, uh, King has has uh, gotten a fair amount of notoriety because of his, of his efforts uh, at Urban Prep Academies. It's a charter school network that he founded and it it was celebrated nationally for getting 100% of the school's all black male student population into college and you know as a result that that fame i guess you could call it sort of trickled down onto king himself he was identified by people magazine as a hero of the year but as the lead in here mentioned uh, there there was a uh, chicago public schools inspector general's report that that indicated uh that there there was some inappropriate Physical activity between him and a, a student uh, at the school, and that, that was being investigated. And of course, King uh, sort of you know he left he left his post uh, under un, you know unclear circumstances initially in the week, and then and then word of this report trickled out. So yeah. so it really kind of forced him out, and uh, has unfortunately put a tarnish on uh, on on urban prep and what, you know, the good things that have happened over there. Yeah,
0: I'm sure we'll hear more as that continues to unfold. Well, on a, a lighter school story, um, the back-to-school sales tax holiday kicks off today. Christian, what are the details there?
2: Yeah, that's going to be a 10-day sales tax holiday um, on a number of items for shoppers. Of course, we're getting ready uh, for back-to-school, so this is going to help um, a lot of families. Um, and it's going to be a 10-day holiday that's going to go until the 14th. And we're going to see the rate go from six six and a quarter to one and a quarter. So that's going to really um, help families. Um, there's a bunch of qualifying purchases, which includes certain clothing items, footwear, um, with the retail selling price being less than $125 per item, and of course, eligible um, school supplies as well. But this is, of course, um, a part of uh, Pritzker's budget that uh, kicked in on uh, July July 1st, Um, and this is really helpful, again, for families. Um, uh, There's a a quote in here from a state senator um, saying, you know, as a nod to our working parents, guardians, and teachers in Illinois lowering the tax rate on school supplies removes a burden when preparing for the academic year. And we always hear about people struggling here in Illinois with our high property taxes um, and just, you know, overall taxes, period. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, hopefully this will help people and will be something that would be permanent um, that we will see the sales tax holiday that will happen on an annual basis.
0: Yeah. Well, let's turn to something completely different, Lollapalooza. It brought hundreds of thousands to Chicago's Grant Park last weekend, and it looks like the show will go on for at least a decade. Alex, what are the details?
3: That's right, 10 to 15 years potentially with a five-year extension option. Basically, at the end of uh, Lala on Sunday night this week, um, Mayor Lori Lightfoot made a sort of surprise uh, appearance up on stage, and she said, hey, guess what? Lala's going to be here for another 10 years, and a cry of joy went up from teenagers all over Naperville. <laughs> um, but, I mean, all kidding aside, I, this is something that, you know, it's a huge economic uh, draw and engine to the city, and, you know, getting teenagers from Naperville is literally the best thing that the city can can do in some sense. It's money from somewhere else dropped into middle of the middle of the city. Um, so basically, the terms of this are pretty similar to the way that it has been, the Chicago Park District will take uh, between 5 and 20% of the revenue, depending on how successful the festival is. Um, the city is guaranteed at least $2 million, um, and last year it, it generated about $7.8 million for the Chicago Park District, so for all the, the you know, us in the city, some of us might turn up our nose at all the noise and everything <laughs> the and traffic. the traffic and the trash. I mean, here it's Friday, and I feel like they're still cleaning up after it. Yeah. Um but you know, in in raw terms, it's sort of hard to uh, argue that this is you know it's a major draw in tourism, uh, event and and um, something that uh, the city has is a real claim to fame. A major music yeah, festival it would certainly be bigger news if Lala weren't still going.
0: Right, right. And it's not just teens from Naperville; teens from other states too. So. Sure. <laughs> well, Christian, there was a, another Lollapalooza story. Um, it involved a security guard falsely reporting a mass shooting threat. Uh, what happened there?
2: Yeah, this is really disappointing. Um, so a Lala security guard um, wanted to get off work early, wanted to go home, and so sent a text to her supervisor saying that, quote, mass shooting at 4 p.m. location, Lollapalooza, we have 150 targets. Whoa. Of course, that supervisor didn't take that lightly. We, if anybody remembers, the Las Vegas shooter had yeah. looked at Lollapalooza as a possible site. So, And we just had Highland Park happen yeah. on July 4th. So this is something that's going to be taken very seriously at uh, an event like Lollapalooza. So, you know, the Chicago Police Department was notified, the FBI notified. But through an investigation, they figured out that this was all made up. Um, and it was really never posted to social media. She just showed that text to her supervisor, Um, but police and federal investigators were were quick enough to figure out that this was not an actual threat. Um, She has been charged uh, in this case, had a $50,000 bond, uh, has electronic monitoring, but you're 18 years old and doing something like this on your permanent record, not something that you really want just to get out of work early.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, turning from that to um, uh, another Grant Park event, uh, NASCAR has the green light. um, And buckle up for some more puns. Uh, (laughs) Alex, some aldermen are pretty revved up. Um, Catch us up to speed on that.
3: Yes. So this was kind of a surprise announcement from Mayor Lightfoot a couple of weeks ago, basically saying, you know, it kind of leaked out and drips and drabs first and was sort of coming into to focus. And then she came out very proudly and said, yeah, NASCAR is coming to Chicago. They're going to shut down um, a part of Grant Park uh, at some point, basically between the end of June and early July. Um, some of the first reaction to this, like you said, was from the downtown uh, alder people, Brendan Riley, Sophia King and, and Pat Dowell, who acknowledged that, you know, they didn't technically need to be told about this legally. They were pretty miffed about the idea that um, NASCAR is going to have control of, you know, basically all of – we're talking about Roosevelt to Randolph and Michigan to Lakeshore Drive. That's the whole area Um, from – I think it's it's like June uh, 20 – I'm trying to look up the – June 22nd to July 5th. So literally over 4th of July. Um, But – Lightfoot was trying to sort of calm things down and say, well, just so you know, this isn't, you know, they're not going to have the entire thing blocked off the whole time. It's more like they're going to be blocked off during the actual event. And then the two-week period is mostly just set up and clean up like we're seeing with some of the residual traffic from Lala, that kind of thing. Um, You know, Brendan Riley was also complaining that if the mayor had spoken more with Alderman, maybe we could have gotten a better deal for the city. I mean, it's not like the city is necessarily – Paying anything except giving up all of this public space for the, for the peak of the summer, but you know we just mentioned that Lollapalooza made seven point eight million dollars last year. Um, this NASCAR race, by contrast, will just have I think a five hundred thousand permit fee. This is from the Sun Times. Um, plus uh, commissions on concession and $2 per admission mm. ticket sold. So, not as much. And Lightfoot is just trying to tell everyone hey, calm down. This is a good thing. It's more people from outside spending money in the city. And of course, uh, people who live and represent those folks who live downtown, maybe not so pleased.
0: We'll have to see how that goes. This is Reset. I'm Susie Onin for Sasha Ann Simons. And we're going behind the headlines on the weekly news recap. My my panel today includes Alex Nitkin, editor and City Hall reporter for The Daily Line, NBC5 Chicago reporter Christian Farr, and WBEZ state politics reporter Dave McKinney. Uh, We're going to move from the city to the suburbs where a bakery in Lake in the Hills about 40 miles northwest of Chicago has been making headlines uh, all because of a family-friendly drag show. Dave, what happened there?
1: Well, it's a a business called Uprising Bakery. And They've created a a a buzz in the community there because they're they're uh they, they have these entertaining uh drag brunch breakfasts and i don't know if you've you've been to one of those but they they are highly entertaining i haven't been to one out there but but i uh, was out with my they're family fine. to one they're they're hilarious well at any rate the the result uh th- th- there was a person who uh vandalized this uh this business they 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 uh spray painted homophobic graffiti uh had windows and a door smashed there and uh like in the hills was was trying to to mitigate this issue in some way, but they it, it kind of flew up in their face. They were uh, uh, trying to block them block this bakery from holding future uh, events like that but the uh, the ACLU has stepped in and has has uh, reached an agreement with with uh, the bakery and and has backed off from that threat of fines and uh, uprising can basically move ahead and do what it was always uh, intending to do. Um, you know basically the ACLU got involved because they they were saying you know you can't you can't allow the these entities out there that are 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 trying to to stop businesses like this uh, you can't let that go unanswered because you're you're you know that's a violation of of free speech of, of the folks here at uh, at Uprising Bakery. So, so for the meantime, uh, the, the people running the bakery and, and the show there have the green light to go ahead and do what they're doing.
0: And they've had other events as well, just you know, live music, painting, baking classes. So, uh, not just not just the the drag brunch, um, Christian in the northern suburb of Northbrook, protesters gathered to support. Rocky the Coyote. Can you tell us about him?
2: Yeah, Rocky the Coyote. Um, So this has been going on for some time. Rocky the Coyote is in a uh, preserve, Cook County Forest Preserve, in Northbrook. And Rocky is a domesticated coyote. He was... uh, born, um, and uh, they initially thought he was a dog. They thought he was a dog when he was born. And so uh, then they discovered he was a coyote, but now he is—he has no fear of people whatsoever. So he's been in this forest preserve for a little more than four years, and uh, he's in a cage. And so uh, animal rights activists do not want him in this cage. They want to send him to a uh, an animal refuge in Colorado, where he would be able to Um, be with animals that um, would be sort of like-minded. And so he he just can't go out with regular coyotes because he hasn't been raised that way. He's almost been raised like a dog. And so um, they're very much against the fact that he's in this cage. Um, Cook County wants to build a bigger cage for him. They say he's fine. He's treated very well. um, But they think that the winters are harsh. This is the animal rights activists. The winters are too harsh here in Chicago, and they can be. And he's in that cage, and they think he's uh, stressed out. And so there's sort of this back and forth. And uh, the other day they went to Cook County uh, President uh, Tony Preckwinkle's office and had a protest out in front demanding to have a one-on-one meeting with her. Um, Somebody did come out. Her deputy chief of staff came out, greeted them, and said he would pass their concerns on to them. Um, But really this has kind of been shifted to how the Cook County Forest Preserve is responding. And they say that Rocky is fine. Um, that that they have the best experts who have looked at Rocky and say that he is okay. But uh, these activists are not backing down. They're going to keep fighting to have a meeting with Tony Preckwinkle and uh, try to get Rocky uh, sent to Colorado instead of staying here in Northbrook.
0: Well, let's head down the road uh, to Highland Park for uh, the big news of the week. Um, And the alleged shooter of the July 4th parade shooting pleaded not guilty this week. Um, Christian, what's the latest there?
2: Yeah, 117 criminal charges. Um, uh, As we know, he was already charged with the deaths, but these now include even more charges for those deaths and also for the uh, 48 other people who were injured in that shooting. Um, We know that happened on July 4th, right as this parade in Highland Park was about to begin, Um, And so his parents were actually in court when he pleaded uh, not guilty. Uh, They did not speak to the media, but they had an attorney there with them by the name of George Gomez. And he said that his parents are still devastated by what had occurred on July 4th. He added they are in shock. Uh, In hindsight, they deeply regret the actions uh, their son had taken. Uh, They are part of the Highland Park community Mm -hmm. and they're heartbroken by all those affected by this tragic event, and they're here to express uh, their sorrows. Um, Of course, you know, people are still reeling over this. They're still trying to understand why this happened. Um, There was a manhunt that happened after this. You know, he drove into Wisconsin. There was a possibility that he may have taken part, was going to take part in a mass shooting there because he still had a rifle on him inside of that car. So... Um, He didn't speak much during that court proceeding, basically said yes, was respectful to the judge. But uh, we'll have to wait and see how this is all going to end up playing out. Will he end up pleading guilty at some point? Will there be some sort of plea deal not to have to put these families through a long trial? Um, You know, but right now everybody is hurting on both sides of this, uh, including his parents and including the victims in this case.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, we are still very much in the summer season and... um, O'Hare is seeing the benefits of summer travel. Dave, how's how's the airport's post-COVID recovery going?
1: Well, I mean, anybody who's been out there, uh, you've noticed, unlike with the pandemic when it was a ghost town, I mean, there's, there are people out there again. Uh, there's new data from the Federal Aviation Administration for the first six months of this year that shows an uptick of 22 percent in flight operations out at O'Hare, which means that O'Hare is busy again. I mean, you're standing in line at Frontera Grill again if you're <laughs> if you're out there, you know. So, um, but but you know, basically, it it puts uh, it it puts O'Hare in second place in terms of the uh, busiest airports in the U.S. behind Atlanta and slightly ahead of Dallas Fort Worth. Uh, one of the interesting things that was happening during the pandemic was that uh, east west traffic uh, there it, there was a bit of a slowdown. I mean, we are a big connecting hub mm-hmm. for airlines across the country. And and as the pandemic eased, uh, north-south travel uh, picked up again, and so that that helped uh, nudge this up. And then plus Southwest Airlines is is operating now out of O'Hare, which has also helped uh, boost numbers there. And and numbers were up at Midway as well, so the airports are back in business.
0: All right. Well, uh, as we wrap up here, uh, what stories are on all of your radars in the week ahead? Alex?
3: I am uh, looking ahead to budget season. I think that everything Um, is pretty (laughs) chill right now. Um, That's one thing. I I, got to say, I'm also looking at which um, alderman is going to shock us all next by saying that they won't run for reelection. We already saw Mm. Tom Tunney saying he's uh, sort of wavering. So that's what I'm looking at, too.
0: What about you, Christian?
2: Um, You know, I'm always on search for a a story idea. But uh, one of the ones that I actually did this week that was really kind of interesting um, if you've uh, caught the HBO, the Janes documentary, it's yeah. a really interesting thing before before Roe v. Wade. Um, and now that uh, Roe v. Wade has been overturned, the Janes are coming back. There's a Southside act- activist um, by the name of Tamara Manasseh, who is also uh, uh, fighting against violence in the city of Chicago. She's rebooting the Janes uh, to help people in, in places where abortion is banned. Um, to try and help them get abortions in other states as well. So, um, you know, it it was rough back then in the 1970s, late 60s. It could equally be as rough here because people are very passionate about the abortions yeah. issue. Abortion issue.
0: Dave,
1: you know, I think uh, on on the state campaign trail, there uh, the Pritzker Bailey campaign is heating up. I mean, you know, as we mentioned earlier in the show, it's going to be fascinating to watch. Uh, you know, where is Darren Bailey going to get money? And I think that's that's something that's ever present and. In order for him to have a viable campaign, he's got to be raising more than you know $1,000 a pop. And so I'll be watching that, watching the state Supreme Court uh, campaigns. There are two big races uh, in our general area here that could dictate whether Republicans step in and take control of the state Supreme Court after decades of Democratic rule. So uh, both those uh, elections are things that I have my eye on.
0: All right. And before we go, Alex, today's your last day at the Daily Line, That's but funny. we'll still be— Seeing you, hopefully, on the Weekly News Recap, because you're still going to be covering Chicago government, but now you'll be doing it for the Better Government Association.
3: That's right. Yeah, August 15th will be my first day there, and um, I'm excited to get started, although I miss uh, the Daily Line dearly. Today is my last day there. It's also the three-year anniversary of my first day, coincidentally, so Aww. I get to round it out, <laughs> and I'm definitely not going to stop uh, covering You know, a lot of the same stuff, city, state, government, and... Uh, Cook County as well. So yeah, I'm excited.
0: All right. Well, congratulations. Thank you very much. That's it for today's Reset. Stick with this podcast for the week's other top stories. We drop a new episode every weekday afternoon, sometimes on the weekends too. Plus, you can now watch the weekly news recap on the WBEZ Facebook and YouTube pages. Check it out. I'm Susie On in for Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for spending your time with us. Have a great weekend.